You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Pru. Hello, Michael. Andre. How are you? I'm, I'm all right yourself. I'm uh, looking out my window. It's snowing this afternoon. I'm doing well. Um, I, I mean, for anyone keeping score at home, I, I've done pretty well with what I've called my dry-ish January. Um, I had a dinner party last Saturday where we tasted through some interesting bottles including revisiting something from the hatch that i bought in bc a few years ago uh oh, which one from the hatch it was the mouton hatch child from 2014 oh i still have a think of uh, one of their syrahs kicking around yeah it was it was oh it was okay it was pretty good uh some of the other people at the at the party weren't in agreement but uh since so i guess january 3rd so it's one two three four five six seven eight nine so you know since january 3rd i've had well, I guess including today, ten days with um with no wine. Wow. Okay, I guess. But that being uh, said, I I, uh, I haven't. When are we When are we recording this? Is what the fourteenth? It's the fourteenth. So I have had probably half of those days without a wine. Well, there you go. But on the other days, I I've had some wine. <laughs> now, um, did you put in for the uh, Domaine de la Romaine Conti uh, Lotto? Of course, you didn't. Oh, I already got mine. Oh, you do? Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're really... Yeah, you're, they send them to me directly. You're Monty Python holy grailing me right now? Yeah, I am. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I... No, I... No. Do you know what? I, I, have to, I have to be honest with you. As you know, I do wine cellar inventories. Yes. And aside from German Rieslings, like old German Rieslings leak like like sieves like i mean you know you pick up the 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 bottle by the neck and you look at your hand and it's full of brown right? yeah the next worst cork of old wines that i see that are leaky is drc interesting no and and those are are absolutely like not like not cheap wines so like no um i put in just for the eschezo which is the cheapest one. It's one of those things where it would be a financial expense, but it's something, you know, I find fascinating. I find it fascinating to taste these wines to see if they're they're worth the money. But even that comes in at $550. And the most expensive one in the offering is the Latache at $1,500. And all these wines are scored 95, 97, 99, 98. The 96 for the Romani Saint Vivant. So like... I'm curious what the one point difference is between Ishizo and Romani Saint Vivant to make one worth ninety six versus the other one ninety five because the difference well, in prices. I'll be honest with you. I I did a wine cellar once in the in the states, a massive cellar, and um, it was one of those times that I had found a a leaky bottle of DRC. I found a number of them and I pointed them out to the owner. And while we went over his wine cellar, he goes, "Ah, oh, let's open the Latash, one of the leaky bottles." And I have to be honest, I it was at least 10 years old, and I was not, you know, it, it didn't wow me. A lot of people say Burgundy is the wine that wowed them into, you know, into the existence of the wine world and a wine they'll never forget. The, re- the reason I don't forget this Latash is because it was not as, as advertised or not as I was expecting. I thought I was going to, you know, fall on the floor and kiss this man's feet and go, thank you for letting me try this. And instead, I went, eh, 
it's okay. No, and, and uh, you know, um, I've been mucking around through Burgundy and buying bottles that I can afford, including some that, you know, maybe I, I couldn't. But the thing is, for the price of admission, the, the thing I still find fascinating about uh, drinking through Burgundy and, and especially drinking Chardonnay through Burgundy is um, just how, just, just the Niagara-ness of it. I find myself thinking more about Niagara when I'm drinking Burgundy than I am about the wine that's in the glass, about whether or not this is something we can accomplish in Ontario. Hmm. All right. Yeah. Well, you would, you would think that, you know, I would, I would hope as, as you and I have said, you know, we can't call it good vintage and bad vintage anymore. Yes. Or you don't like me saying bad vintage. Yes. Um, we should get off of the comparative to Burgundy and say, this is very Ontario or not typically Ontario, such as we did with, let's say, the popcorn wine. Yeah, no, no, no. It's so anti-Ontario. So, you know, so, you know, so wrong on so many levels of what Ontario Chardonnay should be that we were like, this is, I, you, it, it, it should not have had the word Ontario on it. But I still think, like, there's a certain commonality in that style of, of winemaking. I, I think you can draw a division between old world and new world winemaking styles correct um, no, no no you should be able to say old world versus new world but we really should get off of the you know this is uh you know very burgundian in style we should we should after all this time or hopefully we get to it where we say this is very this is a very ontario style versus this is a very you know uh I get, Ontario style. I get your point and I'm in agreement. I'm in agreement with it. I, I am in agreement with it. I, I still think we're probably 20 years off though. Like, I mean, I don't know. I guess Pinot is one thing where you, you can think about styles a little bit more distinctly than, um, than Chardonnay, right? Um, I guess because Chardonnay is really that winemaker's grape. Right? It, it, it is. But I mean, you think about Pinot, like it, it's easier to tell an, an Oregon Pinot apart from a Niagara from a, a, a burgundy than i don't i think anyways it's sort of a, a fractured train of thought there so i apologize to anyone who tried to follow that at home i just i think pinot has more distinct styles than chardonnay there that's the point so, i was making so here we go pinot more pinot more that's it okay um we are going to do i was actually really looking forward to talking to you about this just because you're quite set in your ways michael would you say that I have my moments where I am set in my ways. I am still to this day drinking out of a flute. I will not go to the uh, the white wine glass. I just can't. Uh, I've talked to a lot of people. Uh, I guess besides you, I have a lot of friends who say, "Why would I drink this out of a white wine glass?" And I guess I'm just in that in that camp. Okay. So yes, I'm set in that way. Yes. Uh, so we're going to talk about uh, what's what's happening trend wise in the wine world and what. What, what I have asked you to do and, and what we have done is we've tried to guess what the other person is most excited about in terms of wine trends for now, 2022. These were, were, these, were these like legitimate trends or made up trends? Uh, well, the, the trends that I sent you in the email are legitimate trends. And I think it's stuff that you're really looking forward to. Oh, oh, I made up trends. All right. Well, I, I got to go over and print this uh, this email out. Do you, do you mind giving me a? Me a uh, no, yeah, I can I can I can just I can just read it to you. Um, I mean, the comment that I wrote is uh, for for you, Michael. So I think the number one trend that Michael Pincus is looking forward to in 2022 
is the continued evolution of skin contact wines. And the, the, the comment I have here is, is one day someone somewhere will make a skin contact wine that Michael can stomach. He will be sitting down when he tastes it, but for now he needs just the edge of his seat while he's waiting. Very nice. Very nice. I, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to comment on that. Yeah, you are. I mean, that's it. We're supposed to, to unpack this. I mean, skin contact wines is still a very, a very popular trend that also still seems to be growing. I, I really wish it would it would die, and it just won't. It's it's like the monster that keeps coming back. It's you know what it is. It is the Friday the Thirteenth movie. Mm-hmm. It just keeps coming back over and over and over. And I happen to be Jamie Lee Curtis, and I am stuck in this. Oh no, wait, that's Halloween, isn't it? I I don't know. I don't do spooky movies. They give me nightmares. I don't either. But I mean, I think that's actually that's Halloween and. And another franchise that won't won't die. So yeah, it's it's wrapped into they're they're wrapped into both Halloween and Friday the Thirteenth. Wrapped into one. That to me is uh, skin contact points. Oh, so so I guess unpacking it from the the personal bias because I I'm actually in agreement. Um, I, I've I've actually talked to quite a few people in the in the wine industry, a lot of winemakers and and colleague journalists, and no one I want to mention by name because some of them actually make skin contact wines, but. They all say the exact same thing. And I think Michael, you know, I've said it on the podcast is, is, you know, there's some that when they're good, I can drink half a glass or one glass yep. of, but I've never opened one that makes me want to drink a second glass. Correct. Or a, or a bottle. There's, there, you know, there are wines that you open that you go, man, I not only do I want to drink this whole bottle, but I want to have another case of it kicking around and I could probably have a second bottle tonight. Never in my life so far have I had a skin contact white that I have even wanted that half glass. Well, and, and here's the other thing too, is um, like part of our job as, as journalists is to keep an eye on what's happening in the wine industry and, and have an understanding, right? Um, I, I think in terms of like other trends, you know, when everything switched to plastic cork for that two years, it's understandable how that happened. You know, winemakers and wineries are looking for ways to cut cost and also hopefully find ways to improve the long-term quality of their product that was a failure but you understand how that trend happens the thing that i don't understand and it died and And, it died you know put it this way i don't think you see plastic cork as much which is nice yeah yeah, yeah. two the kinds of wines that uh, they show up under are ones that are definitely drink now no doubt about it so no doubt about it although um, over the holidays, I did open a, a French Cab Sauve yeah. uh, from 2017 that was under plastic. And now I have to go and find the rest of the bottles that are in my cellar and make sure I drink them uh, ASAP. And it was probably a very dull, boring wine, though. And I remember when I bought it, it was not dull and boring. Okay, so this wasn't supposed to get you off on a tangent about plastic corks. The point that no, I was no. trying to make was that the thing about orange wine and skin contact wine that I have a hard time with is... I don't understand who the consumer is, and I like to think I drink wine with a, a variety of people. It's not one set group of people I drink wine with, but not once have I had someone walk into my house with a bottle of orange wine, just be like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing. I don't know who the consumer is, and it's clear that there are people buying it, and it's clear that that segment of the market is growing. So, uh, you know, I'm going to put this out there for anyone listening to the podcast. If you are like an acolyte of, of orange wine, you know, we'll we'll set some time aside on the podcast. We'll connect remotely. You'll you'll tell us what to buy, and we will try to stumble our way through to understanding what the appeal is because it's still just one. It's it's the one trend 
that I still don't understand. Or, here's another one. Okay. If you're a winery from Ontario or anywhere else in the world, and you're listening to this podcast, and you go, I have got the orange wine that's going to turn these boys around, send it to us. Send us an email, and we'll give you the address to where to send it, and we will try it together live on the podcast. And we will do live. it. We will so do it with our, an open mind. Get our immediate reaction to that wine. We we are going to Ted Lasso it. We're going to be curious, not judgmental. We we Correct. we are open to having our minds changed, but I mean, we we both know where the market stands with what's available right now. I am I, I hold out no hope, but I'm I'm willing to have a mind changed by at least one bottle. There we go. So it's a trend that you're looking forward to, Michael. So here's now I I thought because when you presented this to me i i thought it, it was kind of like one of those you know bill maher things where he makes up news that might come true while he's on hiatus but you know probably won't but i think i think in all the years i've watched him like two of the things that he was joking about actually came true um so i my trends are a, a little more that, you know, that's fine cheap. just hit me with it so here's the first one uh, trend one is that Chardonnay takes over, and there's a rumor that more and more regions are pulling out their other grapes and replacing it with more versatile Chardonnay grape. And the downside is the overabundance of unoaked Chardonnay. And Andre is looking forward to this trend so that he can keep <laughs> his bathtub full. Uh, yeah, I mean that. Wouldn't it be nice? But it's also as much as I love Chardonnay, I love the variety in 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 what's happening. So I, I think I'd be very sad if I heard like you know in in the Rhone they start ripping up Marsan and Roussan and planting Chardonnay instead. Yeah. So I I just thought that would I like the part of it you uh, uh, taking a bath in Chardonnay. What <laughs> that you've decided that your signature scent will now be unoaked Chardonnay. Well, I mean, maybe let, let's talk about like something that may or may not actually be happening. Because I've heard of some people doing this. I don't know how widespread it is. But I, I understand that there are people considering or who already have started ripping up Riesling, Riesling vines in Ontario. And and replanting them with more market-friendly wines. Have you heard any of that? Uh, I have not. But it, it doesn't surprise me um, that, that, it, that it would be happening. I think Riesling uh, goes on a... It, it's one of those ups and downs. Totally. Kind of um, kind of wine. And I think as much as, you know, I'm I'm a fan of old Riesling, I don't drink a lot of Riesling. I don't think you drink a lot of Riesling. I did I last have summer. I a lot of old Riesling in the house. I don't drink a lot of Riesling. And, and I know that, you know, I have some really good aging Rieslings, which is why I think you and I, you know, occasionally, and I think we should do it again this year, do another six bottles of old Riesling. Yeah, I really enjoy those. See how they're going. I really enjoy those experiments that we have been doing. Okay, here's the thing about Riesling and and my house is um, last summer I actually drank an awful lot of Riesling in this house. Uh, I drank a lot of Black Sheep. Like that was one where it was a pretty hot summer. I was pretty busy with the move, um, and that was something that showed up quite a bit. Uh, Derek Barnett at Meldville has a very solid Riesling, and um, like I do, the, I do farmers markets where I sell some Rockway wines as well as the ADX wines, and Rockway makes a very good off dry Riesling. And I'm, I, not, I, I'm not saying there, it is, there isn't good Riesling out there. No, no, I know you're I'm not saying, saying that, I, but I'm just saying like... downward spiral. People want so Blanc, Chardonnay, uh, anything else, that, Viognier, anything else that's interesting. Pinot Gris is, is on, a, on, a, uh, on a tear. 
so so I can tell you that in this household, like in 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 my household, last summer, the summer of 2021, I drank more Riesling than I have in any previous summer. Probably more Riesling than the five previous summers combined. And I I don't know, like anecdotally, I can tell you I have a lot of friends now who are asking questions about Riesling. So I don't know if maybe we're on the beginning of seeing a swing up, but I mean, it'd be a shame if people started ripping out old old Riesling. I understand why. Like, if you're a grape grower, you're you're running a business. But if and if no one's buying your grapes, you got to do something with it. But I don't know. I I'd, I'd like to see I'd like to see Riesling start to come back. I I would hope that old vine Riesling become the the norm, and that maybe uh, you start you know ripping out those medium aged I guess or or young Riesling if that's what you're going to do. Don't rip out the forty year old Rieslings. Like I mean those that's heritage. Like that's stuff that should be sticking around, and and that gives us a. a an idea of what is happening with with riesling and how it how it um, grows in our soils and how old old vine rieslings get. So, uh, I would hope that new plantings would also, if you're if you're you know looking at that, you you don't you know go with go with riesling. Well, there we go. Um, you can next, buy a lot of old vine riesling these days. Next trend that I've got for you, Michael. You ready for this? Okay. All right, sitting down. Okay. Um, alternatives. Alternative packaging enclosures is a trend that I think, I mean, we, we've seen a lot of higher quality wines working their way into uh, into cans. And as much as you hate plastic corks, and I have it in my note, as you should, um, I anticipate that this is a trend that you are uh, accepting with open arms. That you you are you are also with uh, with curiosity watching what the next alternative packaging, what the next alternative closure will be, as long as it doesn't muck with the taste of the wines. Well, I, I, yeah, I would agree with that. I would uh, look cans. I think are are interesting, and I and I, I believe the folks at Stelmar probably were the ones who uh, who turned me around to um, to a, a wine in a can that actually was decent. Um, and very drinkable. That red was good. That white was good. Yeah. Uh, that they put in the can. Um, on the other hand, they're now putting them in bottles. So, I mean, <laughs> what was the point of putting them in the cans to start with if you're going to end up turning to bottles anyway? But uh, I, I, but, I but to be fair, to be fair, I don't think the reason why they uh, they went to bottles has anything to do with integrity of of packaging and more to do with what the market is ready for. And and, and you know, case in point, you, you you start seeing more and more Ontario wines going into cans. Um, and you're seeing more uh, cans show up at the at the LCBO. I, I'm not sure why the LCBO is pushing cans, to tell you the truth. But, um, you know. Well, there are environmental they're, benefits. They're all about drink responsibly. That Now I can get a can that looks like a soda. And now I can drive down the road drinking out of a can. So, okay, okay. But on the other side of the coin, though, um, cans are environmentally conscious. Like, they're lightweight. They do weigh less than glass. Uh, they are very transparent transportable there's a lot of uh uh like like there's a lot of there's a lot of positive reasons that cans make sense and they hide in your lap easy just saying. <laughs> are they gonna make a 750 can i doubt it but. no 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 they I don't, nor, nor do i think anything in a can that is sellerable is is something that's no. going to happen. Although I do, I do have a couple of Stell and Mar reds from that first batch that they sent out that I put in the cellar, 
just for curiosity because the, the did, wine was good. Did you good. put the year on them at all? I did not. I still have a couple of mine too, but I did not put a year on them. Oh, uh, they're, they're, they're the well, I mean, they're the only ones that I saved, so I know they're from 2020, that that first pandemic oh. year. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because now we're in the so there was there was 2020, then there was 2021. That's the sequel, and then there's 2022. Now that's you know now we're into the uh, the uh, the third installment of this fine film that we've all been on. So is it my turn for yours? Yes, it is. Okay. So here it is. The spirit barrel trend ignites. Andre is extremely excited about this. Everyone knows about his love for bourbon and therefore the bourbon and wine um, combination was right up his alley. Now add wines into more spirit barrels like vodka, rum, scotch, and you have a cornucopia of new interesting tastes. Andre just can't wait to taste these crimes. <laughs> I mean, taste <laughs> uh, no, you you had it right the first time there with okay. with with crimes. It's just, ah, uh, you know, I, I think especially with what's happening in the, Although to be fair, uh, when we did the Cab Franc tasting with Suan, what Suan's doing with uh, spirits barrels, I think shows a lot more restraint than what most people who are working with spirits barrels are doing. And those wines were, they were palatable. They definitely weren't as good as what she'd done with, um, with Oak, regular barrels. with yes. regular barrels. But I, I mean, I, I love Sue Ann's curiosity, right? She's willing to experiment, but also find a way to implement it the best way possible as opposed and to, not, and she's only doing one barrel, right? It's not yeah. like she's making a, you know, the, in her whole portfolio where I think some of the larger producers, it's, you know, it, I, I just feel like there's so many wineries in Niagara where they're, they're trying to crack the baby boomer code where, you know, baby boomers are so set on drinking Californian wine that they're trying to find a way to make Niagara wine un-Californian and, and boost them up. And even even American producers who are using whiskey barrels for that, it's just like it adds an extra layer of, of sweetness and it's, it's all marketing and smoke and mirrors. This is a trend I want to see... I want to see dye as it's implemented right now, but if more producers are starting to experiment the way someone like Sue Ann in Niagara is, I'd be curious. But I wouldn't say it's something I'm like going out of my way. It's it's not like it's not like I'm sitting here, which is like, oh my god, like a, a cognac barrel would make just the the greatest. Let's get let's make cognac barrel aged Sauvignon Blanc. See how that tastes. Like I'm not I'm not excited at the thought of that. No, I I, I don't. I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, occasionally they come to the door. And I taste them, and uh, they fall into the category of uh, the Snoop Dogg wines. They are, for me, they are just absolutely unpalatable. Well, I mean, I it's don't other. Understand it, the Snoop- why people drink them? Although I know that my my sister in law is a big fan. Uh, but I mean, you kind of hit the nail on on the head. Like when we say the Snoop Dogg wine, so the Snoop Dogg wine is high sugar, high alcohol. So. Uh, I think the one that we taste, I don't know what the vintage is like on the on the shelf right now. Let me just take a look at the LCBO website. But um, I think they're going to have, uh, that's going to be a general list product. I cannot imagine that they've got a, an, a year on those things. Really? I, I, thought, it, I, thought, it was a vin- I thought it was a vintage uh, vintages product. Oh, no, you're right. It is a general list. Oh, my God. But uh, 23 grams per liter residual sugar. The LCBO website says 14.1, but I remember the sample bottle that I got sent was 15.5 with 23 grams per liter residual sugar i mean it's just a recipe for a hangover correct and and the thing is that uh you know the lco general list never updates any of their numbers the moment it's on the general list it's it's on the general list as that number forever yeah so 
and narrow. I mean, and the other thing too is, is is like the insult to injury is the marketing misstep where, like, I understand the whole shtick with nineteen crimes and what they've done, but it's just like it feels just so off brand with with Snoop Dogg, and that's the one that that hurts me as someone who is a fan of his brand. While I'm not a big pothead, you know, I appreciate what Snoop Dogg has built in terms of his image, right? And that and that wine is the twentieth crime. Right, so am I getting you with your last one now? Uh, you're hitting me. Go ahead. Okay, this one was actually actually serious because I actually thought of you because I did some research on what other people were saying were trends. Um, and I think one thing Michael is really looking forward to is uh, as the writer of the now famous Rosé Report, year-round Rosé. I mean, I expect you to drink Rosé year-round, but I, I predict that in 2022 that your rosé guide may become a year-round compendium necessary for consumers to navigate the landscape of mediocre rosé. Well, that's a that's an interesting uh, interesting thought. Um, so, wait, you have nothing uh, else to unpack yeah, from that? I, I started. I probably have had more rosé this um, this winter, let's say, or later in the fall than I have uh, previous years. Okay. And, and it's because, you know, sometimes you just want something lighter and fresher and, uh, nothing is, I don't think anything is worse. And, it, and it's, it's something I've learned from, from having the rose or from doing the rosé report. Uh, nothing is worse than knowing that you are opening a rosé that was really good, but it is now, sadly, you lost it and it's three years old and it has lost every ounce of what you want in a rosé and that to me is is kind of sad yeah that makes no i i I agree with that but why sorry is it the i guess here's the next question is is it the winery has released the rosé after three years and it's just something that they didn't sell or is this the result of you celebrating it's been sitting in my in my you know in my basement right okay okay and then you go ah why did i wait so well, I mean, it's one of those things too, where I'm finding like I've I've hoarded a bunch of 2017 Chardonnays from that stellar vintage, and here we are, like five years away from the vintage, and the Chardonnays are are starting to peak, in, in my opinion, and I don't want to be holding the 2017s for too too much longer. I, I know I know I have some older or Chardonnay in the cellar, but yeah, it's it's a horrible feeling when you open up a bottle that um, that you've held a little too long. Yeah, and you're thinking, oh boy, I better. Well, so, but I mean, know, it's, the thing, it's the thing about about aging rosé though, and it's something it's an experiment that we did with with ADX with um, when pigs fly, and that was at the at the request of, of Thomas Bachelder, where he said, well, you should age some of this, and I, I certainly wouldn't recommend aging aging any of when pigs fly if you're a consumer buying it because I like that wine when it's it's fresh. Like I, I prefer to show that wine to people when it's fresh, but year two, just because of the clones of uh, Pinot Noir that we've worked with in the in the past, really. You know, fruit tones down, floral notes go up, but after the third year, that's when stuff really starts to fall off. Yeah. I, I think keeping if a rosé you really love, keeping it for two years is is worth it, uh, just to see how it'll evolve. But I don't know if I would purpose buy like, oh my god, this rosé is so good, I'm going to buy a case. Let's age it for two years before opening it up. Yeah, Andre, I, I'm going to tell you something. Okay. Before I go on to the last trend that I had for you. Okay. I did. Uh, I did um, have one that I wrote down that ended up being um, 
uh, even even more absurd than my other ones. Okay. And that uh, I thought, you know, this really does pertain to you. Okay. And it is, it is one of those, you know, maybe news articles for the future. Okay. But geneticists, from what I hear, um, are starting to look into your concept of combining pigs with uh, turkey vultures. Okay. <laughs> and I, I thought you would be looking forward to this so that you could have a cover model uh, for your wine label instead of the drawings. But anyway, that was just that was just a little, and I went, ah, it's a little too far fetched. So, um, <laughs> my, my third trend for you was uh, red sparkling wines. Uh, the next big trend in bubbles is red sparkling. Pink is passe, and well, blonde to blonde is just the same old, same old. Red is the new black, so to speak. And Andre is looking forward to this because, oh hell, Andre, I can't make this stuff up. I have no reason why you'd want to have red sparkling. Um, actually. It's it's not that far fetched. Um, it, it's actually kind of weird. It's it's almost a little serendipitous that you. Um, it's almost a little serendipitous that you threw that trend in there. In the past two months, I mean, Lambrusco is something I, that um, I think a lot of the sommeliers in the city, uh, you know, have, have been gravitating gravitating to for a few years. Um, I got a chance to get my hands on some Rinaldi Lambrusco, and obviously. I did what every sane person would do, drank it in November when it was like zero degrees. But it was it was really good. And and I mean just just the finesse on this wine was just like I, I haven't tasted Lambrusco that was just that well put together. I want to drink some more of it. Um and then after that you and I got um um Bella from Peely Island. Oh, okay. And that was that was one where you know, being completely honest, you and I uh, were in disagreement. You and I were in disagreement yes. of it uh, when we were writing the Toronto Life piece. But uh, as you people heard on the on the last podcast of the year, we'd assembled a panel, and the panel was a thumbs up on the on the the Bella, the Peely Island Sparkling it was Red. A, a barely thumbs up, but yes, it was a thumbs up. I got. It. Uh, so I was I was outvoted, but uh, nobody. But I, you know, when we tried that, everybody was drunk. So I think it was—it's like that last bottle of the night. That was my opinion. Uh, I don't think it was—it was quite. Anyways, <laughs> you're, I know I know you're just trying to like justify how that ended up on, on the list. I, I maintain that that was a, a nice wine. I've had a few bottles work its way into the house. Um, I mean that being said, like I don't want to drink sweet sweet sparkling red wine, but I'm curious about the style and I'd like to see more people work with it and find ways to give it some finesse. And it's—it still is. It is still weird. Like it's still just weird. Like having a, a glass of cold red wine with with bubbles. But I I, I, I don't think it's going to be a, a trend. Um, you know, you can you can. I think JT still makes a, a Merlot uh, bubble. Um, uh, and I I I, I think. In but I don't remember that one ever being and I, far between. I, I don't remember you that one far. ever being any any good. And like it's the same no. thing. Like I know Viennese made a, a sparkling red. With uh, yeah, they Bacco... make a Lambrusco Rosso, yeah. Kind but of but they made like a red with like Bacco Noir of all grapes, and I I just remember that having like a really strong note, like almost like the CO two in the wine amplified the you know the the foxiness that you get from the Bacco that's usually pretty well you know harnessed when you when you deal with it properly with oak treatment, right? Yeah, 
you know what? I, I uh, there was one out of BC that I tried uh, during the rosé report, which uh, they used Marquette to okay. make uh, a rosé. Uh, I can't imagine anybody's going to want you try to do that as a as a red, uh, but they made uh, Marquette into a rosé, and it was a very tasty little wine. So. Look, if you're looking at using reds, make them into a rosé. I think I think it's a it's a better use of of red grapes uh, for sparkling wine instead of trying to make that that red, you know, deep red color. Or experiment. Who knows what'll turn out? But if it's not good, nobody's going to buy it, so be ready to drink it. Yeah, I guess that's the Um, that's you know what your company started, wasn't it? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Put it this way. I think it's how every wine company starts. Hey, let's make some wine and see what happens. And if we don't like it, at least we'll know we like it. Yeah, no kidding. Um, I I do have some trends that I know we've talked about last year that I I think are starting to die that I think you'll be excited about. Okay. Uh, I I think one of them is Petnet. Oh, God. that, That can't die fast enough. I think we hit peak Petnac a couple of years ago, and I think we're just at the point, too, where in Niagara, especially, the prices were getting a little up there. Like, people were asking $30, $35 for their, their Petnats. Nuts. Absolutely nuts. And, um, you know, I, I'm just listening to, like, once again, talking to other winemakers. It's just like, I think there's people who are just done with it. They are just done making it. You know, they've, they've done the experiment. Um well, I think people got tired of painting their walls with the stuff. I mean, that's part of it, I'm sure. Uh, I, I'm, um, yeah, I think I think it'll be curious to see how many pet nets are out on the market this summer versus last summer versus the summer before. Well, I'm happy to see that one go. And who knows? Maybe in three years we'll see more refined, finished, sparkling wine. Be, uh, well, be nice. Anything else you had? You said you had a couple. Um, no, I think I think or that no. was it in terms of like trends that I, I, I see that are, are are starting to starting to to wane out of the stuff that you and I have covered over the past few years. Uh, I think we're going to see more celebrity wines this year. You know what? I my 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 only problem with celebrity wines is when it's just a wine to be a wine. Do you know what I mean? Totally. Like it's just a wine to get your name out there. If you're serious, like it seems like Sarah Jessica Parker is serious about those wines. Uh, and she and she and she does a, you know, a, a good job as we as we found out. Well, it's, uh, more it's, for the Sauvignon Blanc than for the Rosé. But I mean, you know, when you start branching out, maybe your second wine isn't as good as your first, and and you're hopefully going to get better as as you go. Um, you know, whereas you know, we previously mentioned Snoop Dogg. Like, if you just want to throw your name on a bottle because it says 19 crimes on it, and Snoop has done 19 crimes, and that seems a good fit. Uh, for my sweet wine, then not not so good. I I couldn't agree with you agree with you more. Um, integrity in winemaking is is something I don't think will ever go away, and I, I don't think it takes long for consumers to uh, pick up on the fact that you know a snappy label will only get you so far. The quality of the juice has to be good. You know, like put it this way, uh, I know the Rockway uh, makes a Fergie Jenkins wine. Yes, which doesn't make sense to me. Um, uh, you know, baseball player, golf course would have been, you know, easier for Mike Weir to come to them when he was making wine and go, Hey, let's, let's partner up so that I don't, you know, blow my whole wad, uh, from my green jacket on this winery. I think that would have been a better, a better fit, but I'm uh, actually, I, I know there, I know there is, I? I know there is a connection between Fergie Jenkins and, and Rockway. 
Um, I'm not entirely clear on the... I can make my wine there. And uh, I'm not entirely clear on the full relationship that he has there. But I think I think there is a deeper relationship. It, it certainly makes more sense than, you know, the king of pot, Snoop Dogg, making a sweet red Californian wine. And we should end there before we, you know, have Snoop call us up and, you know, I mean, it's something. It's something where I can take. I can take off the table and and get back to you with the answer about what Fergie's connection is at uh, at Rockway. All right, I'm looking forward to hearing that. All right, maybe that'll be the whole next podcast. Uh, probably not. Okay. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, is this where we start wrapping things up, or is there, or, I are think we that's done? It. I think we've done the trends. Um, you know, I'm I'm really uh, looking forward to those geneticists uh, coming up with uh, your cover model. <laughs> uh, I, I have actually I started working on uh, started working on the twenty uh, the twenty twenty one when pigs fly label. I got some really great pictures of um, of some pigs down in Niagara on the lake that I'm I'm looking forward to editing. All right, well, looking forward to seeing that one this year. So I'm Andre Proof from AndreWineReview.ca. <laughs> um, you know, follow us on Patreon, Patreon. Patreon.com slash two guys talking wine. Uh, you know, a special shout out to Ken Little, who's one of our patrons who took us up on doing the tasting, who's been incredibly patient on our uh, our reschedules. We're just um, we, we're supposed to be doing a tasting with with Ken as he took us up on on one of our uh, one of our tiered offers, but we've sort of put everything on hold because of uh, Omicron, making sure we can do things safely and in an inter- interesting way. So thanks, Ken, for your patience. And uh, we appreciate all of our patrons. Um, it doesn't take a lot of money to keep the podcast going, but I, I know it's been a while since I've, I've blown the dust off of that. But it, we do have some expenses. We do have some overhead in terms of hosting and whatnot. Um, and you can check me out at Andre Wine Review on social media, my website, andrewinereview.ca. And it sounds like we're going to be spending some of that money on uh, skin-fermented whites. I'm Michael Pincus of <laughs> MichaelPincusWineReview.com. You can find me on social media as The Great Guy, uh, also as uh, Michael Pincus Wine Review. Um, so uh, please uh, see, please check me out. I've been quiet for the last uh, week because I'm working on my novel. But I'll be back uh, next week. Take us away, Michael. Week, because that's when the podcast comes out. But anyway. Andre, I guess uh, it's time to say uh, goodnight. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes. Two Guys Talking Wine is produced by Jim Ray, Adam Duran, and Ken Little.